Hi Secreters! So uh, the last video that we did, we talked about the list of authors um, that were highlighted with quotations in the first six poems. So today, um, welcome, welcome if you are new. So glad to have you. If you like what you see with our deciphering, you can like and subscribe because that's really cool and we'd love to have you around to debate and talk with us and potentially find a cask. So um, I'm going to do two parts here. I'm going to quickly go through the remaining verses, um, 7 through 12, and we talk about who is mentioned in these verses. Let me grab my book over here, too. It's a little bit far from me. Okay, so um, the, the <laughs> and let me shut off my phone as well. Um, the verses 7 through 12 are interesting because in verse 7, um, we have Twain mentioned. So in the hint book, when Byron says that this is a proper noun, more than likely he's implying Twain. The reason why is because we have all of the other authors and or artists that had been mentioned in previous um, verses. So this seems to kind of be a regular MO of Byron, right? Like, he is giving us these hints. An author or an artist at a time. So, in verse 7, we have Twain. He says, Twain's attention. And, of course, if you know much about Mark Twain, um, you know he... Uh, loved Nikola Tesla. They were very good friends. He was fascinated with electricity. Uh, that was an object of his attention. Uh, there are pictures of him holding electricity balls in Tesla's laboratory. Um, and then you have the other things that kept his attention. He hated slavery. He hated uh, Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> Hate might be a strong word. Um, things that he disliked, right? Slavery in America, the mistreatment of people for corporational gain, the, um, you know, he, he wrote for children. Uh, he adored his, his daughters. He adored his wife. Um, wrote her a letter every single day while they were courting up until the time that they got married, some 400 and some letters a day. Um, he was an interesting fellow because he really didn't find himself all that great as much as other people found him in his greatness. He loved Hartford, Connecticut. He built a beautiful home there. He loved being out in San Francisco, being on the Mississippi, um, had a lot of guilt around the loss of his brother, who he helped get a job on the Mississippi River, who uh, was in a pretty bad steamboat accident and then died a few days later with Mark Twain by his bedside. These are things that culminate into what Byron had in his head when he utilized Mark Twain. The question is, which direction do you go? Um, is it a slavery connection? Is it... Uh, 
an electricity connection with Tesla? Is it a connection of the South? Is it a connection of the Mississippi slavery? Um, you know, he was good friends with Harriet Beecher Stowe. There are all of these things. And there's a few more things, you know I mean? And he wrote about um, Roosevelt and his disdain for his bully tactics, which I'm going to parlay this into uh, the dictionary of the clips that I showed you guys yesterday. So, um, so these are things that we have to think about with Twain. And then if we go to verse 8, you know, it says, View the three stories of Mitchell. Byron talks about, um, in the hint book, he's mentioning a building, that it's a three-story building, which is fascinating. Um, because if this is the three stories of Mitchell and we are looking at the Milwaukee painting and applying that painting to Milwaukee given based on the anagram that's in it. Um, you know, we, it, it's a pretty strong argument, right? But we have two different areas of Mitchell there. Actually, three. Because um, you have originally in Milwaukee what it would have been the Mitchell Airfield at one time. You have the Mitchell Horticulture Center that has the three uh, domes. Almost kind of like geodesic domes, but not a full circle, if that makes sense. And then you have, you know, the Mitchell Building, which is downtown Milwaukee. Um, but then we have to look at, you know, why he mentioned Mitchell specifically. And is that person particularly a, uh, a writer? Is it, does it have to do with the person that, you know, built the building or the horticulture center you know, these are people that we have to decipher. And verse 9, verse chapter, written in water, uh, you know, these are also mentions of Melville. Again, so we have Melville twice. You know, the first poem is Melville, but it's Pierre and the Ambiguities about the French guy. Remember the Frenchman, aristocrat lived in New York City, came from wealthy family who annihilated, you know, indigenous Indian populations and took over their fur trade. Um, so we have that going on. But then in verse 9, he's mentioned again uh, through Moby Dick, which obviously was Herman Melville's, you know, one of his greatest books that he ever wrote, also based out of New York. Okay, so we have all of these different writers that he's talking about. Verse 10, you know, we have, you know, a possible link to Cooper when Cooper speaks about the natives. We have, and again, James Fenimore Cooper, also slightly mentioned in verse 6 with Louis Stevenson. Um, so some of this gets so encircling that... Byron really wants us to take our time and really study who these people are and how their elements play into the poem, whether it's a visual or it's a literal clue. So then we have verse 11, Dauntless and Inconquerable. I know people are like, oh, Karen, that is on the, the Wright Brothers, you know, memorial. I mean, I've lived in North Carolina. I lived there for 
close to eight years. <laughs> Been there, know the place well. Have to kind of wonder, though, is Byron being tricky? Is he wanting us to see that because that's an area for a cask? Or is he actually implying Pindar? Pindar was the Greek writer, philosopher, who used the terminology in an Olympic ode for one of the first Olympics. So then that takes you to a whole different level. Um, you know, might it be the Wright brothers? Possibly. Memorial? Could be. Could it be something else? Maybe. Maybe a place where we have had some Olympics. I know we've had some Olympic games up in Canada, right? And we've had some in America. And also in that, he talks about it being in December, right? And so we have to think, is he talking about a snowy place, a place that gets snow? Are we talking about Winter Olympics? Are we talking about Summer Olympics? Are we talking about St. Louis in 1904 when they had an exposition and the Olympics going on at the same time? And by the way, that Olympics wound up being quite the flop and very, very interesting if you read it. Some funny things. I mean, people were like in the... Uh, cross-country running and were getting hit by horse and buggies and people were joining in the race at the last point uh, secretly so they could cross the finish line and appear to be winning. <laughs> if you haven't read about that, you should. Um, but then you go to verse 12 and you have the mention of M&B set in stone. So then he switches gears, right? The Chicago poem, when you're looking at it, it's all extremely visual and auditory. And so, out of all of them, clearly that would have been the easiest one too because the ferry page on the Chicago World's Ferry also basically tells you exactly kind of where to look. And if we go on what JJP has said in the past about their essentially being found in the order that he painted them, that would make sense. Because from the easiest to the hardest, right? So I am a believer the back of the book does have critical elements that add to where you can find a cask. I believe that Byron, you know, in... The hint book when he says, you know, oh, the back of the book is just stories. You really need to focus on the front of the book. And then I think to myself, okay, Byron, are you doing that double speak again? Where you claim it's not that important, but technically it really is? Because if it's not important at all, then the Chicago World's Ferry page should have no bearing on how it was found. But yet it has so many critical hints. So I feel like he was tricky in his hint books in that way because, uh, in the hint book, because he really did not um, kind of give off the exact path, right? So anyway, when you're looking through these verses, you have to try to think of not only the literal clue, a visual clue, an auditory clue. 
I mean, he's asking us to kind of use not only our brains, but our senses, right? Sensory perception. In Chicago, we talked about the rumble and the hush after the train. So there are these other elements in these poems that I feel like people might be missing out on because we're not really um, deciphering them properly, if I could use that term. So anyways, um, I wanted to also talk about this book here. Pardon me, my reach. Um, yesterday I posted uh, a page about the mugwump and where Byron got the information on the mugwump and the history of it. And I have to say that this book has been just utterly amazing for the political fairies in the back of the book. I have went through and marked literally this many things that apply directly to and have essentially the same wording um, in the secret book. If you look up where it talks about salt, manifest destiny, um, if you look under bloopers specifically, it has the gentleman listed where Byron mentions um, the senatorial person that mentioned that, you know, Jews um, and Christians, you know, they, they should all get along like good Christians, essentially. Um, which if, you know, if you're Jewish, um, you're not Christian, uh, and vice versa, which is kind of um, rude and insensitive and uneducated to make that kind of comment. And so, if you have the opportunity, this gentleman here, Byron, talks about in the secret book. And so, William Sapphire, um, or Saphir, is the dictionary. And I know that I have taken pictures of this and I posted it online when I received the book. Um, you will be amazed uh, at all of the mentions Um when he talks about the carpetbaggers, right? And he goes in and explains, you know, what they are and where this, the terminology has been used the most all the way up into 1979. Talks about the chicken in every pot. Talks about um, gobbledygook, which he mentions in another fairy in the book. He mentions the graft. Remember, we talk about the graft in one of the fairies, too. And there's an entire write-up on it. And I know, I know, I know that for without a shadow of a doubt, Byron had to have used this political dictionary. By the way, William Sapphire was also uh, a Jewish man as well. And they would have run in similar circles in New York. So it makes perfect sense as to why there are so many things in this book. And I encourage you to get it. Get it because it helps you understand more about the terminology, the people that are mentioned, and all of this combined. So, I mean, I could sit here for another half hour and go on and on about 
you know, all the different things that are listed in here. But I really think if you have the opportunity to get it, you need to. Because it talks about the New Deal. The New Deal is mentioned in there. Johnny Appleseed. The, um, the Nixon Doctrine. Uh, which we know Nixon's highlighted throughout the book anyways. Um, for various reasons. He talks about the... Um, the war defense he talks about just i'm trying to just really briefly kind of go over all the pages i've oh an important one too which is the sachem um which obviously ties into mugwump where the Olympian word came from which then john elliott writes about in the first indian bible that he created for the indigenous people in like 1603 whenever he went to live amongst the Algonquin to be able to um, convert them to Christianity. Uh, and a lot of them that didn't convert, um, you know, they didn't want to convert because they, they wanted to hold on to their own religious and cultural practices. So it talks about that. It talks about the spirit of 76. And where the spirit of came from. And a complete other synopsis of the spirit for political campaigns and where they were utilized. And also the specter. The specter of communism. Um, it talks about that. It talks about where these terms came from. When they were applied in the 60s and the 70s and the 50s. This, you know, it talks about Uncle Tom, um, which is all, also mentioned in the book, um, and many, many, many writers, many, many more things. So, this is an old book, guys, and I don't know where. Um, I mean, I think I found it on ABE Books, but I'm telling you, if you want a deeper understanding of the political section specifically in this secret book. That is the book you need to get. Um, I have been looking in it, marking things. Um, it's given me a whole new understanding, not just in the Google sense. I mean, you can Google definitions of things all day long, the benefit of this particular dictionary is that it's his commentary. He was one of the New York Times um, great columnists, great writer. Um, and, and you really get a sense of, oh, and by the way, just, just I'll notate this too. Look, look who published it. The same folks that worked with Byron. So, um... But anyway, so this gentleman's very highly respected commentator. He was on the news. He wrote all these political articles. He was willing to talk about things that people wanted to brush under the rug. Police brutality is in there. You know, we talk about the police brotherhood and the secret book. I mean, there's all these ties. And so it really gives a great perspective for what Byron was thinking at the time when he wrote the secret book. So 
if you have questions, I know I kind of went quickly through the verses, and, and I really and I wanted to talk about the political dictionary. Um, I hope that I can help you find these things and help you in your search, and um, and maybe it can lead to a cask. But I really feel like dissecting the secret book and pulling out everybody that Byron utilized and talked about and seeing what they've written, what they've read, music they've composed, whatever it is, however it plays a part, um, needs to be brought into the light. You know, we can't just sweep everything under the rug and go on what has just been said for 40 years and like, that's it, right? So... That being said, uh, if I can help you, if I can shine light on books or avenues for you to utilize so that you can help, your, or I can help you in your search um, and your deciphering, then that's a win-win. So, um, again, if you like the videos and you like how we talk about things and break things down, give me a like and subscribe. I would love to uh, continue to do this and foster a great open community of theories, ideas, and translations of this great book. So until next time, ferry on!